Welcome to Signals Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by Signals, an AI marketing platform that helps companies automate, grow, and close sales pipeline. Today, we're diving deep into the world of AI, demystifying the connections that define our digital age as we share presentations from the AI Revenue Summit. For this episode, our speakers, Dave Elkington, founder of Inside Sales, and Pete Ketchum, CMO at Signals, will discuss the 21st century AI revolution. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the AI Revenue Summit. Uh, my name is Pete Ketchum, CMO here at Signals. Uh, the event is being hosted by Signals. Uh, and to also mention our sponsors with VIB and Silicon Slopes. Uh, with that said, this is the first time that we are running this type of event, AI Revenue Summit. We do run quarterly events, as many of you have probably participated in. Uh, but I will say this is edging to be, if not our our our, our most well-attended event um, that we've held thus far, close, closing in on 5,000 total participants. Um, Billy Bateman, co-founder of Signals, also just announced many of the award winners uh, from our voting pool, which again, we had a lot of participation in that voting pool. I think we had over 60 uh, total nominees, crowd, crowd nominated, crowd voted for. Uh, so a, a big accomplishment uh, to all of our award winners. So congratulations to you all um, again. Uh, with that said, um, and, and all the participation activity going on with this event, with the voting around the subject of AI, it's pretty apparent that there's a lot to talk about. And that's what we're gonna be diving into uh, in this keynote session. Uh, joining me is Dave Elkington, uh, as I as I bring him into here, founder of Inside Sales, um, sits on the board of Utah Tech University, also uh, helps propel one of the largest uh, COVID vaccine uh, companies in the United States, um, author uh, um, and uh, co-author of many articles, um, Dave Dave Elkington, sure. what haven't you that's done? That I haven't that's mentioned? enough. That's no, enough. Yeah, no, no, it's, so, it's plenty. So, so with that said, Dave, we're jumping into AI revenue uh, summit and and around generative AI, um, AI, Chat GPT, and as we kind of talk about some of this stuff, there's a little bit of like, hey, well, what does that mean? What's this? What's the definition there? You know, can you help kind of set the stage a little bit for us? What is AI? What's generative AI? Kind of where are we at? What's what's that foundation definition we need to start out? With? Yeah. So look. There's so much uh, confusion around like these words and these concepts and, and these subjects, uh, but it's actually pretty, I think it's way easier than I think a lot of us make out of it. So think the big category at the top of everything is AI and that's super broad, right? So if you go to like look at Wikipedia and say like, what, you know, what's AI? AI is like that super set of things, whether it's you know algorithms or math or ways to basically systematically or, or, or mathematically or algorithmically, you know, come up with, you know, outcomes. So think statistics would belong to AI, rules engines, like think, you know, the choose your own adventure you read as a book that, you know, loosely could be you know, interpreted as an AI all the way to machine learning and even down to, you know, GPT, you know, uh, a GPT type or, or generative AI algorithm. So, you know, the, a subset of AI is, is machine learning and that's algorithms that um, are self-learning or can be used, you know, and, and trained to, to, to kind of self-train and, and be better. And a subset of that is generative AI, which is a type of machine learning algorithm that's specifically designed to generate content. So typical machine learning, it's, and it, we'll get into this a little bit. It's actually kind of interesting. It's been around forever, right? Like machine learning is well over 50 years old. Um, and the math has evolved, but a lot of the core algorithms, the core math that machine learning has 
is based on has been around, you know, since the eighties, like things like neural nets, a lot of these have been around, but what's happened is they've evolved and they've been improved and there's um, algorithms that, you know, optimize getting data in or doing it on smaller, you know, computers. There's just a lot of optimization that's been done around it. Now, generative AI, and that's kind of why we're, I candidly, that's probably why we're talking is, um, is, machine learning used to generate content. So it's based off of a large language model. Um, uh, in particular, you know, chat GPT um, is a large language model. And basically what it does is way simpler than I think everybody's made out of it. And, and I, I, my guess is many of the, 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 the attendees today, the listeners know this. So I, I apologize for some of the you know, simplicity of, of what I'm going to share, but basically what, what a, a generative AI algorithm does is it looks at past examples of content and think content more broadly, not just words, but it could be images, it could be songs, it could be audio, it could be behaviors, anything that you can interpret content from the past. It says, okay, this is, these are the patterns um, for this series or this set of data based off of this series of content or this set of content um, and these instructions what's the most likely next set of content to come out? And what's interesting is the principle behind it is it tokenizes it. And what that really means is it takes some piece of content and says, I'm gonna, I don't care what actually is in the content. I'm just looking at the sequence when this token shows up and then this next token shows up, what's most commonly the very next token to come up? And it's looking at that in mass. That's what generative AI does. So it generates content. Now, what's super interesting about that for all of the people who are listening today is as sales, marketing, and revenue leaders and representatives, our key role in the market is to actually do two things, in my opinion. Number one, generate relationships with people, like help people, customers, potential buyers who want to understand more about what we do and what we're selling. Um, they want to understand this. All right, our goal is to develop relationships so they can talk to us. And we need to also then generate content so they can learn about us and what we sell and what our companies do. So generative AI should be the Shangri-La for all revenue-related you know, individuals. And, and I think the reason we, you know, there's so many attendees on, on today's summit is I think we all intuitively know that. And we're seeing little use cases of it. But I think, you know, today out of out of the the other speakers and hopefully out of today's conversation, um, I think we'll see that. I think there's a lot that's happening right now. Great. And so, you know, you mentioned, hey, this has been around for a while, right? Some of the the generative AI, the AI, the machine learning. Um, so, what's what what kind of insight can you give us as to why have we hit such an AI revolution over the past eight, ten months or so? That's got everybody into the tools and the plugins, yeah. GPT and so forth. Yeah. So now it's a, it's a softball, right? So it's an interesting question, but I've not heard anyone really describe or think about it the way that we're, I think, going to talk about it right now. Machine learning, and, and I studied machine learning in, in my master's program. Um, and, and so machine learning is typically before what happened when OpenAI introduced, um, you know, chat GPT last November, you know, nearly a, nearly a year ago, um, to, to use a machine learning algorithm is kind of intensive, right? So you have data scientists, you have machine learning software engineers, 
You've got, I mean, the, it's the whole payload of people who have to have to figure this out. And there's really three key things. You have to do kind of the preparation. The, it's called data engineering or data preparation. And there's data scientists who, <clears throat> who this is what they do. And in, in short, what they do is they get all of this data and they coerce it. They manipulate the data in a way that can be consumed by an algorithm. Then you have the middle section, which is tuning that algorithm, which is like, okay, it's not quite what I thought. You know, let's, let's think about tuning a car. You buy a car, you want to really optimize it. You've got to think about, okay, how much oxygen, how much fuel, you know, what's the timing? Like there's things that you do to, to, to tune a vehicle. Well, you tune a, a machine learning algorithm. And then you take the outcome of that and you have to interpret that and synthesize it, you know, back to, to improve your results. What happened a year ago, oh, and look, everybody who's been, you know, in listening at all knows that, you know, data science has been this big boom for the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of you know, new programs at universities where data science, you know, scientists are getting trained. But what happened a year ago was the or the consumerization of AI. And, and what I mean by that is, as of November last year, it doesn't take a degree in machine learning. It doesn't take a degree in computer science. It doesn't take a degree in data science. It doesn't take a degree in statistics to do those three things. So any consumer, so you went from, you know, call it hundreds of thousands to now billions of people have the ability to become data scientists. That's what happened a year ago. And, and if you think about chat GPT, that's exactly what we're doing. We're getting data. We have some problem or some question we want an answer to. We have to go get the background information. We then put it in chat GPT um, or BARD or whatever, you know, generative AI that we're, we care about. We then get an answer and we're like, okay, that's not quite what I meant. And then we tune the algorithm, right? Oh, really? So if we're asking, you know, GPT, write me a sonnet. Okay. Cause we all did that. Or, you know, write me a poem. Like, cause when it first came out, we're like, oh, this is, this is really, right. what can this thing do? So we're like, okay, write me a sonnet. <clears throat> we're like, okay, cool. No, I actually don't want a sonnet. I want a limerick and I want it in the form. Um, I want you to use cat language. And it's like, okay, I'm going to write a cat language limerick for you. Now, about half of the writers are like, or listeners right now are like, I'm going to go try that right now. And it actually does that kind of crazy stuff. Um, and so you tune the algorithm. So you first get all the, the data. You're like, okay, I want a limerick. I want it to be this long. I want it to be blah, 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 blah. It gives you an outcome and you're like, nope, this is what I really meant. So you go through this iterative process of tuning and then you get the results and you're like, okay, now I'm going to interpret this and I'm going to go put it in this, um, you know, this card that I'm going to send off to my sweetheart who loves cat language, you know, limericks. Um, of course. Now, but what happened a year ago was we no longer require deep expertise, mathematical expertise to become a data scientist or a machine learning expert. Literally anybody who has the ability to interact with a prompt has the ability to become a data scientist. It's stunning. Like I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, we just made a transition that um, I think will change. We don't, in fact, if you think about, in my opinion, where we're at in this life cycle of machine learning and AI, we're, we're not even in the first, uh, we're not even in the first, what is it uh, in, in baseball, like uh, uh, the first inning, right? Yeah. We're, we're just sitting down in the ballpark. We just got our peanuts and our, our, our popcorn. And we're like, okay, this is going to be a good game. Like that's where we're at in, in the evolution of 
what I believe is going to happen um, as, as a result of generative AI and, and the consumerization uh, of, of AI. So, so then, you know, when we're, we were talking a little before this and, and earlier this week, we, we ran across some interesting statistics, right? We, we looked a little bit into to different areas, um, different studies that have been done, Boston Consulting Group, McKenzie, MIT, and so forth. Um, and, and just to kind of show the scope for the audience, like, okay, yeah, we all know, we all know it's big, but really how big, do we really understand how big it is? Um, here's some interesting facts to kind of pull out, right? So 70% of PhD holders um, in AI now work in the private industry. That's up 20% from two decades ago, and that's coming from MIT. Now, Stanford found that the U.S. government spending on AI contracts reached $3.3 billion last year, 2022. Now, that's up $2.7 I mean, so, so how much of a 1,000% up is that, right? Yeah, yeah you're going to say something like that. Yeah, no, that, it, it's, the point of this is everybody is seeing this and is shifting just paradigmatically yeah. into this. And, and the, government, the government's doing it, and they're the laggards, right? If the government's doing it, they're so far behind everybody that – like we, th this, this is a big thing. I mean, you have a few other stats. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see here. So, so we got, um, uh, overall, this, this was really interesting. This is, this comes from, um, um, Goldman Sachs uh, research, um, generative AI advancements could boost global GDP by 7% is what they're estimating around $7 trillion, um, and raise productivity growth by 1.5% over the next decade. Uh, so those are kind of numbers that we, we haven't seen in, in that, in that time frame, um, and then another kind of like interesting insight as to the scope of what went into these kind of programs is McKenzie released some interesting information on on ChatGPT specifically, and saying that it took around forty five terabytes of text data, and what that attributes to to being is about one million feet of book uh, bookshelf space or a quarter of the entire Library of Congress. So, I mean, we think about, oh, you know, I want to do this next tool or I want to build this into the software and like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do our own thing. You're like, hold on a second. What's available to us? How do we how do we leverage what's already out there um, and using good practices to include AI so that we're not making some of these mistakes that we are earlier? Maybe we put in the poem we're like, oh, well, that was fun. And then go back to our day. Like there's a lot that's been put into this. There's a lot coming from it. And there's you know, there's more to leverage, so we can drive that revenue and in, in other other advantages. So there's an interesting thing you bring up, kind of the scale and what what's about to happen in the market. And and one thing I, I don't think everybody necessarily realizes, but it, it's I, yeah, that's probably not true. I think most people get it; they just don't understand the scale and the scope. But it feels to me like I mean, Jensen Wong, the CEO of Nvidia, has said things like, "This is the new iPhone moment." I think it's bigger than that. Right. Like I think and, you know, of course, he has a lot to gain from it because it's his GPUs, his processors that are driving all the AI. So, of course, you know, he wants to make sure that everybody knows how big it is and buy, you know, buys more of his GPUs. But the, I think what's happened uh, is just as a transition happened in the late 1800s in the Industrial Revolution, where people went from kind of this artisan approach to manufacturing, where they would go build one thing at a time and it was beautiful, but it was very slow you know, someone would sit down and craft, handcraft a chair or they'd handcraft, you know, a rifle or they'd handcraft or whatever. And then through the Industrial Revolution, we saw, you know, lots of um, machinery, you know, emerge automation where the productivity scale um, just went, you know, wildly higher. Yet there was you, you have to know there were some people there who were saying, you know, these, you know, fandangled 
machinery. Like I, I'm going to stick doggone it. I'm going to stick with, you know, my artisan approach. And look, there probably is a, is room for some of those folks, but I would wager most of the people who rejected kind of that, that disruption to, to the way they did business were, were out of business, you know, fairly quickly. I think we're back in that very same moment. So, you know, I think a lot of people who are attending today um, either intuitively or explicitly understand this is a similar moment. You don't really have an option to, to ignore this. In fact, I think BCG in their study, this is a study done literally just two months ago, um, which everything is moving so, so quickly, basically said 81% of CMOs think uh, or eh, that, that's not, it's somewhere in here. There's a stat that basically says um, not inaction is not an option. Literally it's, I'm, I'm kind of scrolling through. Everybody has to be involved in this. So the point is, if you don't, if you're not experimenting, if you're not doing something, um, there's a very, very high likelihood that you're going to be, uh, you're going to be disrupted because again, that same shift during the industrial revolution, we're in this disruption of, kind of the consumer AI revolution, revolution, like we're right in the middle of it uh, or at the beginning of it. And I think there's opportunity for winners and losers right now. Yeah, um, no, it's, that's super helpful. I mean, because as we're, as we're talking about, what does this mean, right? What does this mean for the B2B space? Um, we kind of got into, well, what are some of the, the misconceptions um, that are happening around in, in the in B2B or in the business world? Because like you said, um, you have that uh, consumerization now. It's available to everybody. Anybody can do this. But are we in the right mindset of doing it to leverage uh, that information? Are we doing the, the steps kind of you, you talked about earlier, doing the, the prepping, tuning, interpreting some of the results? Um, are, we, yeah. are we in the right m mindset to yeah. do that? So what are some of those misconceptions that, that uh, you're seeing um, out there and, and how do we kind of move around those? Yeah. So you, you just kind of brought it up, brought up and it, it's a, it's a paradigm that I think we need to really embrace, which is just like a, a, uh, educated, you know, university trained data scientist, um, thinks about machine learning in these three steps where it's like, okay, number one, we have to do the, you know, the data preparation. Number two, we have to do the tuning and then we have to do kind of the analysis and, and potentially iteration on that whole process. Um, consumer, this consumerized AI or, you know, this generative AI is the same thing. So I think it is not a catch. It's not, there's not one easy way to do this. It's not like you can say, oh, go solve, you know, this, go solve all my problems. Um, it's, it, it feels as though it's that mature, but it's actually not. Um, and it's, it, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the spring, I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, as you'd hope and you'd expect, I'm an early adopter of this stuff. So I was like, I think it was, probably the first day you could go buy the premium account with, uh, with OpenAI. Mm -hmm. Of course, I wouldn't, you know, pay the $20 a month and did it. And, you know, my sonnets got, you know, that much better, but I, it, it was interesting. I, I, I sit, you know, on the board and, and involved with several companies, one of which is, is the, the, the sponsor company, the signals. And they had just finished a survey. They had this, the raw survey results. And I, I reached out to, you know, Pete and the team and said, give me those results. I'm going to go run. I'm going to go because what every year, every time they do a, a summit like this or an event like this, they typically do a survey and somebody goes and gets the results, um, you know, hires a, a data scientist to go run or, or, or a statistician. They run the analysis on the, on the results. They find correlation. They write it up and they say, hey, here's what's based off of what people have just said. Here's what's happening in the market, in the industry. And I just thought 
we don't need it anymore. GPT can do this whole thing. So I got all the results. I, you know, copied and paid, I think it was a survey monkey, you know, outcome and put mm -hmm. it in there. And, and I went through that, got the data already, got it in there, had to do it in some different blocks because it was, you know, quite a bit. And that process, so data prep, number one. Number two, I was like, okay, great. Um, let's, because let's tune this thing because it was not right at first. I'm like, oh no, that's not quite what I'm asking. And then I did it again. I probably spent two hours trialing an error and I was learning. And then um, finally I was like, I got it. Like I did the analysis, like this looks great. And my, my 19 year old smart aleck boy walks behind me and said, oh dad, like GPT can't run statistics right now. Like it's, it's hallucinating. It's making up, you know, results to, to try and give you an answer because you keep pushing for an answer. It just wants to give you an answer. It did. And he's like, just go, go double check the step, you know, the math. And so, you know, I pull out my calculator. I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh crap, this is totally wrong. It looked right, but it, it's, it's not, none of the math was right. And so I think there's this perception that it's potentially more mature. Now, what's interesting is in prep for this, I had I, asked you, Pete, to go run the exact same analysis again using plugins that, in fact, like Wolfram Alpha, which if that's, you know, if you're not using um, OpenAI with Wolfram Alpha to do the analytical analysis, that's a quick, easy win that you're going to get out of today. And I said, okay, go use Wolfram Alpha, go use some of these other plugins and tools that have now enhanced um, OpenAI's capabilities and let's see how it works. You know, today, this is like, you know, four months later or something like that. And, and share, share what you found. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess kind of stepping back just a, a smidge in the process there for me was we had kind of, you know, we kind of talked a little bit more about that prepping, tuning, we're going to analyze the data and so forth. Um, and when I got in there, I used the, the Wolfram Alpha uh, plugin, uh, got the data in there and said, hey, I, I need this to be interpreted, you know, got the PDF into GPT. Uh, to interpret it. Um, and once that happened, it literally just gave me the statistics uh, from the survey, which is what you can already read from the survey. I was like, well, that's not helpful at all. Um, and so kind of not, you know, not being familiar with use that use case within GPT, I went ahead and just asked, I said, okay, how do I use Wolfram Alpha appropriately to be able to translate a survey um, and get an analysis done from it? Uh, and it gave me a lot of suggestions from there. And so then I, I realized, okay, I was thinking a prep level here. What I need to do is my prep level, you know, a whole level higher. So I went through, did the prep. And by prepping, I'm just saying, hey, this is the kind of analysis I'm running. This is what it's from. These were uh, the survey takers. This is the event that it was around. These are the analysis concepts that we're looking for. These are the learnings we're looking for. Um, and just kept going in into the nitty gritty of like what we're looking for and kind of building almost like the GPT data analyst for the specific request, right? Like GPT could do it all. I just was so vague that it just gave me a vague response. And so once I kind of told the chat um, conversation within this algorithm, the bot saying, okay, this is who you are. This is who this, this information is coming from now run it. Um, it came back with spectacular results. I mean, it was, it was fine tuned enough to where I would say the accuracy levels right there, 90%. Yeah, you could export it and then kind of do the finishing touches on it. But that's kind of the result of it. And, and it, it, sh it shocked me from the results. And so so to answer your question, I think the, the misperception is, one, this thing's changing like weekly, even daily in some cases. So they're adding features. Plugins are, are, are getting approved and getting added in there. There's outside, you know, you have Bard that is improving and adding capabilities. There's um, more traditional vendors like Salesforce.com or, you know, Sixth Sense or, you know, the, you know, Clary, there's a whole bunch of companies who have been 
doing more traditional AI um, are also integrating, you know, generative AI, whether it's BARD or GPT or, you know, Amazon or whoever, you know, whoever's providing these tools. So the market is changing at this accelerated rate. So like um, minimally, you should be talking to your peers. You should be benchmarking, talking to other people saying, what are you finding that's working? You should be attending events like this. Like you've got to be super adaptive. Like the idea of like having an annual, you know, strategy plan on how to use AI is, is not, is, is not valid. That's kind of lesson number one. Lesson number two, um, you need to not try and rely on AI to do too much. I mean, the first thing I did is I gave it all the results and say, run the analysis and then write up the, the, the summary of the analysis. And it was just, it, it, it was, I, I think my incapability, my inadequacies of understanding its, its inability to run statistical analysis analyses at the time and then do multi-step things, I probably was not a good enough prompt engineer to do that. And so I would, the other thing kind of number two is stick to very discrete, simple problems. And then, um, and then I would say the third thing, and this comes out of the BCG study, which we'll, we'll make the link available. Um, and they've got kind of in response to this inaction is not an option um, premise. They basically have four steps that every organization should, should do. So number one is just start experimenting. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, but I'll, I'll, let me hit all of these things. Number two, find game-changing outcomes. So play with things, find things that work, find ones that really make an impact to your company, your role, your department. So find these game-changing outcomes. Then number three, at that point, then establish an enterprise-wide model. And then finally, fourth, then implement um, guidelines, kind of responsibility guidelines, because like, um, it's something we'll maybe talk about if we have time today. But 81% um, of, of CMOs believe um, there is a need and, and we'll see regulation of, of generative AI, uh, meaning we, we, there's ways to use it effectively and appropriately, and there's ways that you shouldn't be using it, and, it, and it's probably inappropriate. Um, and so, again, if we, we have some, uh, some time, we'll talk more about that. But let me give you an example of that experimentation that companies should be doing right now. So... As, as, as I was, you know, preparing to, to, to speak with everybody today, um, I went and interviewed, you know, dozens of CMOs, CROs, people, you know, in, in multiple interest, industries to see what's real because there's so much hype. Um, so I'm like, okay, what's real? What are you using? What are you not using? And hopefully it's a consolation to everybody. What I found was everybody is in the ideation stage. Everybody is either pre-experimentation curious or they're just in the early stage of experimentation, trying things out. It's it's way earlier than I think the media would suggest we're at from from a, an, uh, a development stage. So if um, if you're not that far down your path, nobody is. From what I could find, there's a few people who are further, but most people are still in like the hey, what do, what do we do? Um, pra pragmatically, I think everyone's like, boy, we're behind it. I think people are trying to integrate it into their their products if they have technology companies. But it's, uh, it, Pete, it's super early. Um, and so one, one of my favorite interviews I had with somebody was I sit on several, uh, some, several company boards, one of which uh, just recently we were at a lunch with one of, you know, with all of the investors. And one of the investors, a private equity firm, um, shared a story as I was kind of, in, you know, questioning people of where they're at in their, their generative AI journey. And, and the managing partner who was at the, it was actually a lunch, who was at the lunch with us, 
shared, he, he knew that there was a need to do something. So he decided to create a competition amongst his entire firm. So he first, um, I think, brought somebody in to do a training. So everybody understood the basic principles of what um, AI and generative AI is. I mean, and he's including like janitors, secretaries, assistants, um, managing partners, investment partners, principals, thinking a private equity firm, the entire stack, uh, you know, the entire employee base. Um, then what he did is he created a competition and he said, I want everybody in the firm to find one key problem that they they face every week in their job. So something that they do over and over, it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to solve this problem. And then he created, again, this competition and said, uh, with awards, I mean, the, the works, um, and said, whoever can come up with the most elegant generative AI solution gets these specific awards. So two examples that really, I think, would be helpful for, was helpful for me, um, was his, one of the secretaries. Her, the, the problem she chose to try and address was every week, several times a week, um, there will be a meeting where she's tasked with getting lunch for all of the participants of the meeting. And it could be, you know, three people, it could be 30 people, it could, you know, could be large, these very large lunches. And the problem she was faced with was there's preferences and there's allergies and, you know, someone may be pregnant and has limitations and someone may have, you know, I mean, you can imagine, and, and it seems like a trivial task, but getting everybody happy in a lunch is, you know, within a budget and within a time frame is, is actually surprisingly difficult. So what she did is she collected all that information. So step one. She did all the, you know, the data preparation, the, the, the feature engineering, all of that kind of thing. She got all of the data and got it in a document. She then used that, entered it into um, ChatGPT and said, okay, I, I need a lunch that accommodates all of these constraints and limitations and, and needs and requirements. And these are the people. And here's where we've eaten in the past. You can imagine all of the, these different constraints she put in here and said, give me some recommendations for each of the individuals that are going to be at this lunch. Um, from a single restaurant and and these are you know food preferences and I mean you name it and it did and it came back with some options um, and I think she'd asked said give me three different um, restaurant options using plugins and I don't remember uh, I don't think he shared what what plugin options you know she was using but um, using options of restaurants that could accommodate these these needs um, in the region that could then deliver within the time frame and then she used another plugin or another um, generative AI app that then actually integrated, I believe, and made the order and had the orders delivered using, you know, something like uh, Uber Eats or, or you know, DoorDash. some delivery, yeah, DoorDash or some some delivery service. So I, I mean, to me, I was like, that's a brilliant woman. That, that's somebody. In this case, he shared like, man, she just saved, you know, dozens of hours a month off of her her, her work. Now the second one from the same lunch was one of the the partners, one of the the, the investment partners, and he gets dozens of, of pitches, pitch decks, PowerPoints and PDFs of companies who want to raise money from this private equity firm. Um, in this case, and this takes him hours a week to, to go and get these, process these, evaluate the companies, reach out, <coughs> pardon me, and, and, and collect all of the data. So he similarly wrote an algorithm that said, this is all of, or first he did all the feature engineering, said this is all the data we need from these things, things like, you know, what's the revenue, what's the revenue growth, you know, what's the industry, you know, what's the region they're in, you know, how, who are the employees, you know, how many employees, you can imagine all the things that a venture firm or a private equity firm would want to know 
about a firm before they would consider um, investigating whether they should do an investment. So he collected all of those questions, you know, as a prompt engineer and said, okay, I, I need all of this information. And um, so he used one of the plugins that allowed them to consume, you know, the PowerPoint or consume the PDF, collected all that information, then through another integration, um, generated a document and the raw data, uploaded that into salesforce.com, their CRM, that then uh, allowed him at the end of the week to say, okay, show me all the companies that sent us a pitch or some pitch deck or pitch, you know, PDF this week and show me all of them within this range that we would potentially invest in with this industry and so forth. And so it saved him just like, even within a week, you know, a dozen plus hours, I guess, you know, significant amount of his work week. And so I, I think the key that companies need to be thinking about are specific discrete problems and then um, begin experimenting with these and, and empower your entire organization to, to do these and take the time uh, to, to make these kind of experiments. Yeah, I, I love that. that when you were sharing these, these examples, um, it, it makes me think a little bit of the, when you're, you're plugging in some of these sequences or workflows into Zapier or make.com, they, they, they kind of force you to go through a step and say, okay, first connect, you know, co connect your, your Google um, uh, mail and then put it into uh, Google Docs and, and so forth. And what it does is at each step, it says, okay, this is connected. Is everything looking right? And you, you know, yes or no, and you make those changes. And then it runs a test to make sure each section's working before it moves on to the next thing. And so it, it, it kind of like going back to the example we talked about from the study, from the survey, and then with the two examples here, um, each and every time it's kind of like, hey, do a little bit, test it out, see if that worked. And then you can kind of build on top of it rather than trying to take a massive scope project and be like, okay, I did it, now test it. I go, it doesn't work, all right. You know, like you, either you waste a lot of time or it's kind of discourage future usage. Um, so I think I think in, in that case, you know, it's that's going to be critical when we're implementing um, AI technologies, whether it's something simple or more, you know, a purchase tool that's more expensive. Um, you want to scale it appropriately. And, and they they went through as they this 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 managing partner described it to me that very same process. So it's like, okay, I get the data or I get the information that I can ask um, a reasonable question that it can answer and give me, you know, the kind of results I want. Then I tune it. I got to like, okay, you're going to be wrong. And then I get the data and I kind of say, okay, is this really what I meant? So that three-step process was exactly what they went through. So as people think about how do we use this in, in revenue generating opportunities, um, like they, they need to, they, they shouldn't expect it to work the first time. This is an iterative experimental process. So again, I want to kind of re, kind of reiterate what um, BCG said. They said, number one, start experimenting. And that like, that's an amazing example. Create a competition. Everybody pick a, a problem to, or a method to, uh, or, or something they want to solve. Once they've done that, find the ones that are the game-changing outcomes. And then once they, they get those, establish an enterprise-wide um, model that... Um, everybody can then go leverage and use. And then from that, put guidelines around it. But they, they talk about don't do the guidelines too quickly because it'll limit the ideation and the experimentation phase. Yeah, love it. Um, you, you know, and, and it's always on our mind, like working as we're going through marketing and stages, you, you've got your ABM processes, your demand gen, and it, it's similar. It's kind of the similar rules, right? You, there's no exception. Yeah. Uh, you don't just yeah. build a whole program. 
and then move on. So, um, well, so we talked a little bit about driving the, the revenue. If we're going to do it, you know, do it in small steps, but would you have anything else to add to it when we're saying, hey, businesses to leverage AI to, to drive more revenue, what should we be thinking about? What areas, if, like you said, you talked to many people, they're doing nothing still in the ideation phase. Where, where should it start? Where should, where yeah. should the processes start? Yeah, so the, the obvious place that, that people, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to surprise anybody, but um, the content creation is the easiest and obvious way. And, and if you think about it as a sales rep or a marketer, that's what we do. We generate content. So that could be blogs, that could be ad, you know, ad content. It could be email content. It could be email headers. It could be PowerPoints that we provide to um, sell, you know, to, to potential prospects and buyers. This could be proposals. This could be filtering. So think about, and again, in that same, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, redundant on this, but that same BCG study kind of shared the number one, um, generative AI test that people have, have been making is personalization. So 67% of the CMOs, and they, they surveyed, I think, 200 CMOs, 67% of those um, said they've, they've been using and experimenting with generative AI to kind of accommodate personalization. And so, I mean, this could be all the way from, think about personalization in your web content or your email content or create, um, you know, personalized shopping experiences or, you know, or goals. I mean, there's um, all kinds of personalization, uh, even from a sales rep perspective, it, you know, people are using it for personalizing emails as they're sending them out to prospects. So rather than sending template emails, so personalization is, is by far and wide the most experimented area that, that people are, 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 are both trying and seem to be uh, seeing success. The second one, is insight generation. So trying to, just like we were doing with the, uh, the survey, um, try and get insights out of information. Um, and that could be behavioral information we're getting from buyers as they're on our website. And that's something Signals, uh, the company, um, has just announced, I think Billy just announced today, uh, that they're using generative AI to take all of the behavior on, on in, the, the sales, uh, in the sales process. So that could be you know, they're coming in and they're clicking on specific ad types, the, it's behavior on a website. So, you know, how long they're on a website, how often they come back, you know, the frequency, how many, you know, think account-based uh, signals where they're, they're, they're basically looking at the signals of, uh, that people are giving, the digital signals, the digital de demeanor and behavior. Um, they're using generative AI saying, okay, we're taking the content of the behavior and we're predicting the likely future behavior so they can determine the likelihood that somebody becomes an MQL or an SQL or even a customer. So, you know, insight, insight generation um, was the second thing they highlighted where people are experimenting. And again, you know, I think signals uh, the host of the company is seeing some, some interesting early uh, success on that um, content generation was the third one at 49%. So nearly 50% of people are using it for content generation and then things like market segmentation or, um, social listening. And they're, they're like, like I said, we'll, we'll provide the link to the full, and it's worth digging in. But anywhere we're generating content, again, as a sales rep, you're sending emails, you're leaving voicemails, you are uh, sending proposals, you're sending presentations, you're, you're orchestrating, you know, your presentation. I mean, something as simple as, and, and I'm hearing little bits of all of experimentation of all of this. If, if I'm going to do a demo 
for a specific prospect who's in the healthcare industry for my solution or some kind of solution presentation, I can put the content, the personalization information of this specific prospect. I can put the features of our product and it can actually give me a, a script or, or at least a bullet sequence of the kinds of things that would likely be more interesting to the, the prospect in my presentation. So um, like that's the kind of stuff. In fact, uh, you've got, you've told me one, you know, before this, that you, you used to, to generate a marketing video. Kind of, I, I think it'd be super helpful for people to, to, to hear what you did with this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the, we, we were building a video out and we wanted to see, okay, what, what can we do with the tools that are out there? Um, and it's so like we, a two minute video, right? It was like a two minute sort of website video. marketing video. Exactly. And, and it was kind of an add on. So it really wasn't, we didn't have time built in for it as well. So it was like, okay, how do, how do we kind of scrape this together and get it done, but get done right. Um, and uh, so what we ended up doing was building it into, um, uh, into a, a, a AI generative model. And we said, okay, this is the mission statement. This is who the audience is just kind of spec all that stuff out and gave the background and the preparation. Uh, and we said, okay, we're looking for a two minute video. Um, let's generate enough content and just kind of see what, what the, the AI tool put out. Um, and when it For did, a script, it exactly. right? This was, this was yeah. a script. It wrote a two minute script based off of all of your information. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it, it was, it was really impressive. Like I, I, I know I tweaked it, but it was, it was very little. I was like, wow, like, like this is maybe a better job than, than I do after a couple of days. So, um, so, so it went through there and then the next step was, okay, well now I, now I need a voiceover for it. So we looked for an AI tool that would do some voiceovers. So I went through a couple tools, you know, kind of did some trials through there. Um, there's a lot of selection of different voices and I was able to also kind of match up saying, Hey, this is the pace uh, that I want. This is kind of the tone, the feel uh, that I want to want it to come out to based on who the audience is, is going to be listening um, to this, to this ad, right. The video. Um, and so I was able to do all of that. Um, and then and I think I'll mention here as well is like we ended up not being able to quite being able to prepare it the way I wanted it to um, with the tools without having to you know purchase a purchase a, a large contract or an annual program there. So so what we ended up doing was then just just going through a, 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 another organization, like an offshore um, company that uh, was able to get some like upwork. Out. Right. It was like an upwork right, actor right. or something like that. Yeah. And so they were able to, yeah. They were able to do it and it wasn't, you know, a big deal. It was pretty low, low cost and still able to get it done. And, and we got the, the video um, created. Some of the AI was used for the uh, imagery uh, video creation. And then of course the alignment of everything. So um, a lot of AI was used in it. And uh, the, the biggest takeaway for me is that we got to be able to have the tools that allow us to do the proper prep work. Um, so maybe if I had subscribed and done the annual subscription for one of the voiceovers, I would have been able to do all the prep I wanted to. Right. Um, but if the tool that you're looking at um, or that you're, you're working on or building, if it doesn't allow to you to match your process for your organization or, or uh, for your department into the, the AI program, it's kind of you got to be able to compensate for that in some manner. And if not, then maybe there's a different option you got to look out for uh, because compromising that prep work is going to give you just a poor end result, I think. Totally. I think that's what but, it should be. But, but what is super interesting to me is that process you went through where you're like, oh, okay, we're going to use AI for the script. Okay, awesome. This turned out really great. We're going to use mm -hmm. AI for the, the voice, you know, for the voice generation. And it was good, but not quite what you wanted. So you, the, the, the lesson here is, you also need to be adaptive and not too rigid where you're like, you know what? And, and again, what I love about it was you're like, you know what? I think it's just cheaper to use Upwork and get a voice actor that way. And I, I've heard it and, and it was really close to actually 
the AI voice. It was very close, yeah. but you're like, yeah. nah, it's a little cheaper. And I think it's, it's a little bit better. And then, and then you use AI. So you it's use AI where AI is good, but don't get too stuck in one way. So it's very adaptive in and out of like, let's use, you know, traditional means let's use, let's be scrappy and let's try different things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you, you know, and to mention kind of our, our audience back here, I think around from what we're seeing registrations, about half uh, are coming in from more of a small, medium sized businesses uh, from our attendees. And so I wanted to make sure that we talked a little bit about how maybe advice or perspective would differ a little bit for a company that maybe is a startup, they're bootstrapped, maybe they're gearing up for doing a Series A funding. What kind of uh, what kind of advice would you give or different perspective? Yeah, yeah. Look, generally speaking, whether you're a, you know a micro business or you're a Fortune 500, um, my advice is begin that that experimentation process. Like you have got to, otherwise you will be disrupted. Just like as I mentioned, like all those companies who probably who inevitably went out of business that didn't adapt through any sort of disruption, whether it's the industrial revolution or the computing revolution, um, this AI revolution is going to create winners and losers. Now, the nice thing if you're a small startup is you don't have the baggage of the old way people did it, right? So you can come in and you can say, I'm not going to go hire a blog writer. Like, I'm just not going to do it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hire a prompt engineer who can, at a fraction of the price, write you know, volumes more content and make it really on point to our industry. Um, the, the, you know, so, so I think you don't, you don't inherit you know, the copper wire that, you know, the the countries who came in afterwards and just went straight to cellular service. Like there's an opportunity for companies. Now, um, the other thing I would say that you know, just as you consider things, um, don't think about in employees. And if you're an employee, don't think about your job the way you've been thinking about it. There's opportunity for massive productivity. So don't, don't think about AI necessarily. I mean, you might want to of like, Hey, can I, what can I get done? I can get, an eight, eight hour day done in like three and a half hours. Um, what you could also do is you could say, I can get, you know, 16 hours of work done in eight hours. I can become massively more productive and, and really, frankly, see my career on a crazy trajectory because I've learned to, to speak the new language. So um, if you're a startup, if you're an employee, if you're a large enterprise organization, if you're executive, um, I would say, like winners and, and losers are being made right now. And, and you can see it in the stock market. Like go, I mean, while you're sitting here, pull up your phone, go look at it, NVIDIA's stock, you know, stock price in the last 12 months. Go look at Microsoft's stock price in the last 12 months. Go look at Oracle's stock price in the last 12 months. I mean, it's go look at Adobe's. All of these companies who have really embraced generative AI um, are getting recognized and getting rewarded in the market. As a startup, as an executive, as an employee, um, winners and losers are being made right now. And you just got to decide, like, do you want to sit home and watch, you know, reruns of Friends uh, or Seinfeld? Or are you going to, like, you know, go go push yourself to do something that's new and probably uncomfortable? Yeah, right. And, and thing that's coming to me is just be creative, right? If it, if it's, if it doesn't seem if it, out of scope, too large of a project, you don't have time, um, be creative about it. There's There's so much out there right now with the availability of, of uh, where AI is at right now. There's just, there's no reason that we can't be more creative, use more of the tools that are out there um, and get more done um, there, at this point. So. One of the big worries is, hey, are jobs gonna get, you know, are they gonna get destroyed? The answer is yes. Like, in fact, early on, a friend of mine um, was, was, you know, this is like 
I don't know, February of this year, when asked uh, ChatGPT and said, um, described what his job is and said, well, he first said, will jobs be removed in the market? And it gave like two pages of yes, these are all the jobs that are going to get lost. Because of you, yeah. ChatGPT, what jobs are going to get lost? And it listed them. And he's like, okay, well, because of you, here's what I do. Am I going to lose my job or am I, is my job going to be replaced? And it was like, yes. And here's all the ways. And then he asked the third question and said, what do I need to do in this role to adapt and, and become not disrupted? And it actually gave another two pages of reasons, like of things he could do to be better. So there will be more jobs made as a result of this disruption in the market than jobs lost. The question is what side of, of that, of that bench are you sitting on? Are you sitting on the, I didn't adapt and, and my job got replaced? Because if I'm sitting here as a, as a blog writer, boy, man, life feels pretty spooky. But if I'm a blog writer who is a master at prompt engineering and knows how to make GPT write a mate or, or BART, again, I, I, I use that, but any generative AI, if I become a master of the tool, uh, I have a very, you know, I've, I've got a great future. Yeah. And as you bring that up, I'm just, Recalling as we're going through the some of the McKinsey and Company surveys, um, analysis and reports, uh, we're, we have some of those links that are going to be provided um, afterwards in, in some of the documents. But I think, boy, there's like over 260 pages uh, that the team went through and consolidated and got an outline of. And it, and it talks some about some similar things there that, hey, it, yeah, the jobs, there's going to be some disruption there, but there's going to be so much more opportunity as well. It's not something that you want to plant your feet in the ground and be like, OK, I'm going to stick it out. You want to adapt. You want to keep moving. You want to be creative and, yeah. and follow up, right? So yeah. Um, so so we talked a little bit about this too, and and it's like okay, maybe for some people they're really uncomfortable with it. They don't want to apply AI. They've worked for ten years in building the perfect process, and now this AI revolution came about last year, and now it's just throwing everything in chaos. Like okay, we're gonna we're gonna stick to it. We're not gonna we're not gonna follow and get in the bandwagon. So what would we say to owners, senior executives, investors, unfamiliar with AI, aware of it, believe in it, but not right now. Don't want to be too early of an adopter. What methods can they use to validate some decisions in implementing the AI product? Well, I mean, it, 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 look, I know we're about out of time, but um, the truth is um, you can hire people who get it, first of all. Like if, if it's something you're uncomfortable with, um, look, I, the, there's a whole lot of things my kids love that I'm not quite there yet. So like, I kind of understand that, uh, that discomfort. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the answer though is bring in people who are, are experts or who can become experts who can embrace it. The second thing is learn and talk and learn and learn and learn um, and just fiddle and play with things. Like if you, if you haven't purchased, um, you know, a premium, you know, being account or the, you know, or I guess the, the premium open AI account or, use Bard, um, just while you're, you know, you have a little bit of free time, you know, you're on a plane or whatever, just start playing with stuff. Like don't, don't take it too seriously. Cause again, the good news is you're not actually behind it. I think we all kind of like, I think I'm, I'm reasonably versed in this stuff. Not, you know, there's lots of people who know way, way more than I do, but I even feel a little bit like, man, is there something I'm missing? And the answer is, yeah, but everyone's missing something. We're so, so early in this that I would say, don't worry. Um, just start trying stuff out and talk to people and talk to your peers, show up at events like this and just start learning stuff. Um, I, I think, uh, and, and the other, the other thing people can do is 
say, look, I'm just going to watch what's happening in the market. I'm going to read articles like, you know, the, the articles you've, you've mentioned today. Um, just be very market aware and, and be really ready to, to enter. So you may not be a bleeding adopter. Um, you might not even be a, le a leading adopter, but if you're a late majority, that's probably still okay. That just might be your personality, but stay, stay uh, aware of what's happening and, and be ready to adapt as, um, as more established processes and more standard, you know, successes and, and, and things start to emerge. Okay. So I, as you mentioned, we're coming up close on time here, but I do just want to recap kind of what I took away from your conversation, um, in driving revenue using AI is take it in small steps, pace it out. Don't you don't got to do the whole thing at once, right? So test it in small small segments. Get everyone involved. Get it, the ideas going now. Um, uh, don't be afraid to take the, those first steps. And then and then as you're going, use that three step process. Prep it, tune it, interpret the results, um, and then and then experiment as you go, right? Which anything that you'd add to that? Yeah. The, the only other thing is. Um research a lot use like google it there's a lot of new tools i mean as i've talked to people in in, in kind of preparing for this um even, you know i hadn't looked you know i i went and spent the summer in europe with with um you know some of my kids and so i it's been a month and a half since i'd really dug in and then i in preparation for this i went and dug in again and the number of new plugins and the new tools um has grown like I, i'm shocked at how much has happened in like a month and a half you know two months and so i would say um, go try things out. Things like you describe, you know, voice generation. There's, you know, there's a bunch of pretty cool tools out in the market. You know, one I saw that as you do a video, it'll, it'll take all of the background out of your video. There's things I've found where it'll generate a PowerPoint for you. There's things like, and you know, a lot of, you know, about a lot of these, but it'll, you know, plugins in your email that'll, you know, rewrite your email for you. There's plugins that will do almost anything. So just stay, um, play with these new tools, talk to people. And I think um, in preparation for this, as, as you and I were doing this research, we found in 30, more than 30 new tools that people probably don't know about that we're going to make the list available also. And I would say, go fiddle with those, go, go try the free versions of them. Um, there's just, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but I don't know that I would necessarily start with the tool, find the problem, and then go find the tool that looks like it could help, you know, address the problem. Perfect. Great. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, great conversation on AI. Please stay tuned for our next live event uh, presentations that are coming up next. I believe we have another five um, industry leaders um, speaking on AI strategies, insights, techniques that they've found, um, as well as 20 plus other um, presenters that will be released on the top of every hour in uh, three separate blocks. Thank cool. you again for your time, Dave. Thank Th you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed diving into the intricate world of AI and gaining a fresh perspective on the forces that drive our interconnected world. If you found today's episode intriguing, don't forget to check out others on our website at getsignals.ai. Thank you to our speakers and listeners. Your curiosity and enthusiasm for the world of AI keeps us motivated to bring you the most engaging content. Until next time.